Hi, this is Alan Dibb, best-selling author of The One-Page Marketing Plan, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Alan Dibb. Alan is passionate about helping businesses find new and innovative ways to leverage technology and marketing to facilitate rapid business growth. Alan is a serial entrepreneur whose last business was in the hyper-competitive telecommunications industry. It went from startup to four years later being named by Business Review Weekly as one of Australia's fastest growing companies, earning a spot on the coveted BRW Fast 100 list. He's here today to talk about his Amazon bestseller, The One-Page Marketing Plan, which I might add has over a thousand five-star ratings. Alan lives and works outside of Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Alan. Hey, Bill, it's a pleasure to be on the show. It's great to have you. Alan, tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Look, I I used to listen a lot to Brian Tracy and Jim Rohn tapes at the time. That probably shows my age. (laughs) But um, Jim Rohn particularly really inspired a lot of my business philosophy and the way that I think about personal development. So I've always uh, had a soft spot for him. And I I miss him every day now that he's gone, unfortunately. Yeah. And his words live on in all of us, don't they? Indeed. Tell me, what's something in particular that you, a lesson that you learned or an attitude that you now feel is a part of you that you picked up from listening to Jim Rohn? Um, one of the things that really inspired me is his saying that the only way things get better for you is when you get better. So the real focus on personal development. So better is not something that you wish for or something that happens to you. It's something that you become. So that to me was absolutely key. Do you remember a point in your life or early in your career when you you relied on that to make a decision? I think I rely on that most days. Um, so the wisdom of Jim Rohn is really, really timeless. Uh, and you know, this is just one pearl of wisdom that really drives uh, a lot of my success and drives what I do both personally and from, uh, from a business perspective. So I think some of his wis- wisdom is just absolutely timeless. So another one is really knowing the difference between major and minor. You shouldn't spend major time on minor things and you shouldn't spend minor time on major things things, say, really thinking about what's major and what's minor in your life and dedicating the appropriate time and resources to those things. Well, you're now in the knowledge sharing industry and you help people grow their businesses. How did you find your way into that from being a a small business owner and leader yourself? Yeah, look, purely by chance. I was never in the coaching or training or consulting before. I was in the technology space. I ran two very high growth technology businesses. And you know, my first business, I really struggled to get any traction. So it took me the better part of a decade to really learn how to consistently get lead flow and and a client base and how to run a business because I was starting absolutely from scratch. I was a dead broke IT geek. I was good at the tech stuff, 
but I had absolutely no clue when it came to how to get a client or how to get more people in the door, that sort of thing. So it took me way too long. It was way too expensive, but I got there in the end and I ended up growing that business to be a national business. I sold it for more money than I'd ever seen in my life. And then my second business was in the telecommunications space. That's when we really hit the ground running from zero to four years later, we were in the top 100 fastest growing companies in Australia. And I exited that business as well. And based on those couple of successes, I had people trying to connect with me for lunches to pick my brain almost every day of the week. After I started running out of days of the week, I thought I'd better make a consulting practice out of this. And that's what I've done. When you were working with that first company, how many employees did you have? We had, it varied, we had a pretty flexible workforce because we we used a lot of contractors, but you would say the equivalent of, you know, six or seven employees at the time. And do you remember a turning point where you said, it's not enough to just know the technology side. Someone's got to know, figure out this marketing funnel system and how to get this whole marketing to sales piece working. And no one's going to do it. I can't delegate it. It's got to be me. Do you remember that turnaround point? I literally remember the day and the hour that that uh, that happened. But before I get to that, I'll I'll tell you just how clueless I was. I remember me and my business partner at the time, we were walking to lunch and like we did most days and we'd be chatting about, you know, talking shop, talking about what's happening in the business and all of that. And I said, I remember saying to him, we've got a great business. We've got great margins. Our customers love us. We just don't have enough of those customers and we've got a great product. And you know, so we've got the major part figured out, but this minor part called sales and marketing, we've just got to crack that and then we'll be, we'll be cruising. <laughs> and so little did I know um, how far away from the finish line I, I was. And I remember some years later, I was talking to a mentor at the time and I was telling him my woes. I was telling him, look, we've got a great product, we've got great service, clients love us, but we just don't have enough of them. And the frustrating part it was that a lot of our competitors were technically inferior to us. In fact, a lot of the times they would hire us to teach them the latest technology, but they were running rings around us commercially. They, they had more clients, more business, more lead flow, more revenue. And you know, there's just nothing more frustrating than someone who's dumber than you making a lot more money than you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that frustration. I certainly have. <laughs> and so I was t- telling my tales of woe to my mentor and he said to me, well, when does someone find out how good you are? And I said, well, obviously when they bought from us. And he said, well, before they buy from you, they only know how good your marketing is. So you need to become a marketer of IT services, not an IT guy who does marketing. And that was an absolute mindset shift for me. So I really understood that before people buy, They only know how good your marketing is. So marketing is the customer acquisition part. Your product or service is the customer retention part. And that was an incredible mindset shift for me. And that's when I really transformed myself from being an IT guy to becoming a marketer who just happens to sell IT services. And that's a huge shift in, like you say, a huge shift in mindset that a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are thinking to themselves, my gosh, there's someone else who's figured out how to cross that chasm and make it to the other side. So one of the things that I read in your book, the one page marketing plan, and for those people who are thinking, gosh, what can you fit on one page? One page is really the summary of an extraordinary amount of thinking and distillation distillation and synthesis of ideas and processes that really serves as a summary reminder of what to do. Wouldn't you say that's a fair assessment, Alan? Yeah, yeah, so the book, 
I wrote the book that I wish I had when I, I was starting to learn marketing. And I read many, many books and got many pearls of wisdom from each book. But there was no book that took me from knowing zero to really understanding direct response marketing in a comprehensive way by the end. And that's what I wanted to achieve with this book. And the point of the book is that by the end of uh, reading the book, you have a comprehensive Pay, marketing plan ready to go, right? So it's great when you read a book, you get a few pearls of wisdom or whatever, and then you move on with your life. But I wanted people to finish this book and have something practical that they could implement in their businesses immediately. And that was really the goal of the book. One of the things you talk about that's super important is the importance of the offer. What are some of the mistakes that people make with creating their offer? And how do you define an offer that is different and distinct from others? Yeah, that's a great question. So an offer is basically the combination of a target market and a message and a media to reach that target market. That Those three things really form an offer. And if your offer has a very good product to market fit, so if you've got a product or a service that really fits the market need very well, you're going to be far ahead of someone who's got sophisticated marketing, but not a, not a very strong offer. And, you know, he, he uh, there's a couple of illustrations that I'll use. So if you've got a migraine, a terrible, terrible he headache, and you go to the pharmacist, does he have to spend a lot of time convincing you to buy pain relief? I mean, you know, <laughs> you just buy it. Like that's a perfect product to market fit. You've got a terrible headache and here's someone with pain relief and they don't have to do a lot of convincing. You're a customer, right? So you're there to buy uh, what they've got. And that's the way I like to think of a product to market fit. If you can find a market that is in pain and offer them pain relief, that forms a really, really good offer. And the difference between having a good offer and a either an average or a bad offer that's going to determine your success in the marketplace. So you're going to need a lot more aggressive marketing, a lot more expensive marketing if you have a, a poor or a medium sort of fit offer rather than a great offer. And I kind of liken it like if imagine we're launching objects into space, right? So think of a helium filled balloon. We give it a quick tap and it just floats right up into the sky and into space. Then think of big heavy bowling ball. Now, if we want to get that thing launched in space, we're going to have to rock, strap on a lot of firepower. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be expensive and it's going to be hard to do. And that's the way I think of your offer and your product to market fit. If you can have something that the market already wants that is pain relief, and then you just add a little bit of marketing to it, then that will absolutely light a fire under it. Whereas if your offer is poor or not quite a product to market fit, you're going to have to be much more aggressive. Your marketing is going to be more difficult and more expensive. When you work with business owners who come to you and say, we're not getting the traction with our marketing that we expect to, do you find that it's often that they need to change what they're offering or how they describe what they're offering? And can you give an example? Yeah, it's often a combination of both. And it's sometimes sometimes it's the offer. Sometimes it's the way the offer is being communicated to the market. And sometimes it's the business model. And I'll go into a few examples. So as an example, everybody, hopefully everybody knows uh, Dollar Shave Club, right? So you think of 
Dollar Shave Club. You know, it's a co company that just sells cheap ra razors. And you would think that's a business that could never be a subscription business, but they proved everybody wrong. I mean, who, who would have thought that cheap men's razors could be a subscription business? They turned this into a billion dollar business and sold it to, to Gillette. That's a, an example of someone who kind of transformed the business model of what they do. Now, they didn't transform the pricing, though, you know, they were selling cheap razors for a dollar or two, same as you'd buy anywhere in a drugstore or, or wherever. So, but they started doing it on a subscription basis. And so when we're thinking about your business, so very often, could we transform it into something that sells high ticket items? So could we, because we find that it takes about the same effort to sell a low ticket item and a high ticket item. So can we add a high ticket item? Can we expand the geography? So if you're constrained currently to a particular geography, could we open a, a larger market for you? Can we look at the frequency that, that someone buys with? So if you're selling one-off products, could we turn that into a subscription or if not a subscription, at least a repeating kind of service? And then, then I look at things that you know, can we set it up in a um, in a low cost manner? So could we use labor in other countries to reduce your cost base? Because you're competing with people on a global basis, whether you know it or not. And then we look at, could we, if you're doing something physical, could we do a virtual style delivery versus a physical style delivery? So there are a range of factors that we look at in the business model. So the, the business model is one factor. So very often, someone is a very, very good at communicating their offer and there's people in pain who are after it. But, you know, it's just the business model is not very good. So if you're selling razor blades for a dollar each, you might be the greatest salesman. People may want those razor blades, but... It's not a very good business model because you net a dollar every time you make a sale. So di different story when it becomes a subscription and, and different story when you, when you add a lot of subscribers and you sell, sell those in mass volume, right? So sometimes the business model is one factor. The, the next factor is how you're communicating to your target market. And very often there's the temptation to say, hey, our target market is everybody, right? And we can help everyone. And that's fantastic. That's because a lot of small business owners don't want to exclude anyone. But when you say our target market is everyone, your target market is really no one. So it's very, very hard for, you know, we, we're bombarded with so many stimuli every single day that our brains actively try to filter things out. So unless something feels like it's highly relevant, your brain will just filter it out. That's why there's a phenomenon called banner blindness. People stop seeing advertising banners and advertising material because they just see it all the time. And it's something that just gets filtered by the brain. So you need to come up with something that's highly relevant where your target market says, hey, that is for me. And then the last factor is it's just not a product to market fit. It's kind of like what Silicon in Silicon Valley, they say it's a product in search of a market. You know, it may be a really cool product. You may love it. You may have great technology or whatever, but there's just no market or there's very, very little market for it. So one of those three factors often needs to be improved. And then that can have absolutely exponential results for the business. Yeah, I've often heard that called um, a solution search of a problem rather than identifying a problem that the market already has and then making an offer to solve that sort of like the pain relief for the migraine you were talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Alan, I'd love for you to expand on two questions that I thought were very unusual that I came across in your book about the offer. And you say two great questions to think about when you're crafting your offer are one of all the products and services you offer, which do you have the most confidence in delivering? And then the second question you ask is of all the products and services you offer, 
which do you enjoy delivering the most? How did you come up with those questions? And what's an example of how they can simplify marketing for someone who's overwhelmed by the choices and not moving a particular offer and looking to penetrate and maximize that offer? Yeah, that's a great question. So we find that if we don't enjoy doing something and, you know, it's funny, it's, there's a lot of advice around, hey, just follow your passion and all of that. And it's funny, I found that people who are successful in a particular area suddenly become passionate about, about it. If, if someone's selling screws or hot dog machines and they do it very successfully, they often passion follows rather than passion preceding it. So having said this, life is too short to do work that you don't enjoy doing. You know, a lot of people kind of wait until retirement and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's kind of sad to wait until you're almost at the end to kind of enjoy your life. And so when I was building this business, I said to myself, I'm actually going to build this business around my lifestyle. And that's because the last few businesses I had, as much as I enjoyed them and I loved them and I had a fantastic ride, there was aspects I didn't enjoy. Like I didn't enjoy wearing a suit to work every day. I didn't enjoy running an office and all of those sorts of things. I didn't enjoy having to physically drive to meet clients and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those things are all good things. If you enjoy them, that's fantastic. So I said to myself, how I'm going to engineer my next business around my lifestyle. So I started to think, okay, what do I want my lifestyle to look like? I said, okay, well, I want to live somewhere out by the beach. I want to deliver my product or service virtually. I don't want to have to go anywhere to, de to deliver it. I don't want to have physical inventory, all of those sorts of things. I want to be dealing with small business owners. I don't want to have to be dealing with large multinationals and you know politics and all the things that come with that. I want to work with small business owners who will implement the stuff that we do and get a great result from, from what we're doing. So those were some of the many factors that I, that I had wanted with this business. And that's exactly what I've done. So literally like right now from my home office, I'm overlooking the bay. I'm working with my calendar today. I'm working with uh, clients from all over the world. Again, I don't have to go anywhere. And, you know, so I built this business around my lifestyle. And I think a lot of times we will build a business or sell a product that we think will have commercial success. And then even when we do achieve that commercial success, it's like, okay, well, now what? I'm kind of stuck in this business. I've seen this many times before where someone has actually been a prisoner to their own success. So it's very, very important to think about what do you actually want to, what's the end game? So let's say that you achieve all of those goals because be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. <laughs> so if we achieve all of those goals, what are we going to end up with? Are we going to have the business that we actually want? So that's really where those questions lead. And that's really a visionary approach to building a business. Start with the vision, not what you think you could achieve, but start with what the ideal is. I, I really applaud you for being able to take that approach and pulling it off and providing yet another example of how this works. When you take this approach and say, this is what I'm designing to build and seeking to create from the outset. It's incredibly important because your idea of success needs to match what you're doing on a daily basis. And if they're incongruent, that's where a lot of people get stuck because that, you know, whenever we look at procrastination, it's very often a result of incongruence between what you actually want and what you're actually doing. And so that's your mind actually resisting against those. So when you're doing something that's in line with what you actually want, then that's when you're going to have a much easier time. Alan, you, you write about this in your book, The One-Page Marketing Plan, and I think that one of the things that happens when people don't do this is they start to distort their vision 
based upon what they think they can achieve rather than look to build their business and make it effective so that they can achieve their vision. And a lot of times I've spoken to a lot of business owners who say, well, I don't want to grow the business because I don't know that I can serve that many people. And one thing that in your book that I think can really remedy that to give people the, you know, the courage and the inspiration to dream bigger is to convert the sense of being a pest and convert it into being a welcome guest. Do you know what I'm talking about? You, you write about that eloquently in the book. Can you speak a little bit about the tips for people who, when they feel like they're a pest, how to convert that mindset and actually deliver value prior to the sale? Very often people resist sales because, you know, what are we taught in sales? You know, you need to, it's all about the numbers. You have to make heaps of phone calls and don't worry about rejections and we overcome objections and all of that sort of stuff. And the reason that we resist that is because it feels weird as humans. Like it feels weird for the person receiving that phone call or receiving that hard selling email. And it feels weird for the sender as well. Like we're, we're not used to being those kind of uh, pests, right? And so a lot of sales training talks about, right, just ABC, always be closing, you know, push, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. And first of all, that's wrong on a number of levels. First of all, it feels weird, right? It feels weird for the sender, feels weird for the receiver, right? So we resist it. The other thing, it's very, very poor positioning, you know? So if, if someone's ringing you up and pestering you and being someone who's essentially just a pest, you don't, you naturally don't want to buy from them. Like if you think about someone who interrupts your dinner either with a phone call or a knock on the door or whatever and trying to sell you something, it feels like an intrusion and you, you want to get them out of there as quickly as possible. Whereas contrast that with if you've got a phone call or a knock on the door from a dear friend, you'd welcome them with open arms and say, hey, Bill, fantastic to hear from you. Haven't heard from you for a long time. Even if you're in the middle of dinner or even if you're in the middle of something. And what's the difference? The difference is that when we're friends, we've got some trust between us. We've built up a, a relationship. We know each other. We trust each other. And so it's a completely different relationship than someone who I know is just after a, a selfish gain. They just want to sail. They're just about push, push, push. And the exact same thing is true of marketing. So it's about building those relationships so that when you show up in someone's life, they welcome you with open arms rather than try and shoo you away. And so we can do that by demonstrating that we can help people in advance by actually helping them in, ad in advance. <laughs> Let's not go too quickly by that. That's the secret right there. Perfect. You want to help people in advance, what do you do? <laughs> Help them advance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so demonstrate you can help them, help them by actually helping them. And so take them from a point A to point B, give them a taste of what you do, give them a free trial or help them achieve at least part of what they're trying to achieve. And then when it comes time for you to make a sale, they'll welcome you with open arms because if I've given you value before I've ever paid you a single cent, but when it comes time for me to buy who am I going to buy from? The person who's actually given me value in advance or just some complete stranger who just wants to make a sale? You know, I think the answer is obvious. Alan, would you take us through an example of two of someone who you've helped create the methods or ways to help others in advance with real specific examples? Sure, sure. So I've got a client currently in Canada and they run wonderful, wonderful conferences and they run conferences for a very specific niche market for people who in government and in architecture 
And so one of the things that we're doing right now is they've got this great library of content that they've recorded from previous conferences. And it was previously just in a gated environment where really there was not much happening with it. And so now what we're doing is we're offering that content online. So it expands the audience. So it gives more value to attendees. And it also gives a little bit of a preview as to coming attractions as to what people will get when they actually physically attend the conference. The other thing that it's doing is going to diversify their revenue streams. So right now, rather than just having all uh, revenue coming from ticket sales, now they're going to have revenue from digital products, they're going to have revenue from events, and they're going to have upsells from people who've attended the events, and then they can buy the recordings as well. So that's a simple example of a client I've worked with to achieve that. So let me break this down just to make sure I get all these different components of that rich example. What's the first name of the person who is running this Canadian conference company? Mark. Okay, so Mark used to just sell to governments in Canada or maybe elsewhere and ran a conference. So there was one revenue stream coming in. And what he said was, Mark, you've you've recorded these conferences. Let's turn this recorded library into both a revenue stream and a lead generation mechanism. And a recurring revenue stream at that. So now people can be part of his membership and get all of his future current content and all of his future content. And he's created a revenue stream. Previously, for every conference he ran, he had to make a uh, convince someone to buy a ticket and attend that conference. So we've diversified the revenue stream, but we've also added something in his lead funnel to really uh, show them what, what are they going to get? Who are the great speakers that are going to be there? And show them what happened at last year's conference, what happened at uh, you know a conference in another location as well. Truly making it easier for people who are wondering whether they should go with Mark's company to see the kind of experiences that others have had and say, well, we want our people to have that kind of experience as well. Indeed. Alan, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Let's do it. All right. So as you think about how you start your day, I've noticed and observed that many high performers have particular things that are a consistent part of how they start their day. What are two or three key components of your routine for daily success? One of the key components that I do is I front load my week. And what I mean by that is when I start my week on Monday, I've got a lot of energy. I'm raring to go. I'm, you know, ready to hit it hard. And so I do a big day on Monday. I do probably a 12-hour day on Monday. Then on Tuesday, I'll do a, about a normal, a normal business day. By Wednesday, energy starting to wane. And so I do about a three quarters of a day on Wednesday, I do a half day on Thursday, and I pretty much take Fridays off. So I front load my week. So I align the amount of energy I've got with the things that I've got to do. So I don't want to be on Friday when I'm like, okay, we've got the weekend coming up, I'm exhausted from the week and all of that to be doing high level things. So I I front load my week and do my high level things on a Monday, Tuesday. I love how you've personalized that based upon how you like to approach the week and bring your energy to it. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very important. And again, we talked about procrastination a little bit earlier, but sometimes procrastination is about, you know, I just don't have the energy to do this today. Right. And so, you know, you should be doing it and you're procrastinating and you're just doing easier stuff. So I just align the easier stuff with the lower energy days and the the harder stuff with the higher energy days. Do you have a tool or system you use for staying on track and productive? 
I use a to-do list system called Todoist. So it's a pretty simple to-do list sort of tool. It syncs across my iPhone, my iPad, my Mac, all of that sort of thing. And I can drag and drop to-do items. So that's really the list system I use. It's not really about the tool or the system that you use. You can I used to use just a pen and pad or I used to use Apple's notes. So it really doesn't matter which tool you use, but just use a, use a tool and have a system. And what's one of your favorite ways to get unstuck when you're working on a project and you just find yourself in, in a place that, that you need to move past and you're finding it difficult? Uh, I like to just, if I can, just leave it for the day, let my mind percolate on it, go for a bike ride or go for a walk, go down to the beach or something like that. So do something completely different. And it's funny, the subconscious has has a way of just working on your biggest problems in, in the background and then Often I'll come back to it fresh with new ideas and new inspiration and I just get going on it. And Alan, if you think about the last six months or so, what's the easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal or professional life that's had the biggest payoff? Um, to me, it's been investing in my team. So, uh, you know, and the more I remove myself as a bottleneck in the business, the better the business does. So I, I've invested in a team leader and I've, I've got a really, really great team of people now. And, you know, I'm almost just orbiting the business like, like a moon. So um, I, I'm obviously, uh, and I focus on the things that I'm best at. I focus on the things like uh, working with clients, doing podcasts like we're doing now, writing original content. And the day-to-day -day is done by my team because they're really great at that. I'm not great at that. And so I staff my weaknesses and I focus on my strengths. That's terrific advice. Alan, you said in the one-page marketing plan that you were amazed when you saw people handing out tasting spoons at an ice cream shop. <laughs> you said that it was something that showed us just how risk-adverse we were. Can yes. you explain that, please? Well, uh, I remember, you know, I'm not a big fan of ice cream, but my wife is. And so uh, we'll often stand in line at an ice cream store and, you know, an ice cream is a a little cup of ice cream, couple of dollars, and people will hold up a whole queue of people um, tasting the uh, ice cream just in case the the one that they choose isn't the isn't the flavour that that does it for them. So, you know, they won't even risk a couple of dollars and a and a bad tasting ice cream. Um, and that just shows uh, nothing wrong with that. Just shows how risk averse people really are. They they want to make sure that the that two dollars they spend on the ice cream uh, pays off. And so. Like I said, they'll they'll hold up a whole line uh, of people uh, tasting five or six different flavors before they finally settle on one. There's nothing wrong with that from where we're sitting now. But when you're behind that person, there is something wrong with that. Let's just be really honest here. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Because you had to learn this, this didn't come naturally to you to understand how to be effective at marketing and building your sales pipeline and making sure that you were fully utilizing all of the resources and capacity that you have within your business. What would you say is still one of the biggest misunderstandings about that for people who haven't reached that point of being able to maximize your capacity yet? I think one of the biggest, biggest missed opportunities is people having someone within the business who is fully focused on marketing. A lot of people say, hey, I want to outsource my marketing or I want to do it myself or whatever. And that's totally fine. As a business owner, you, you, you absolutely need to be across it. You need to be across the strategy. But 
as a business owner, it's highly likely that if you're anything like me, um, you're not good at the the small details, the tactical execution, the boring stuff that you need to do daily, weekly, monthly. And that's where your team comes in. And it's incredibly important that you have someone in your team. Sometimes they're called a marketing coordinator or operations manager or whatever you want to call them that wakes up in the morning and thinks about what do I need to do today to market this business? And you know, as business owners, we're kind of like the visionary stuff. We like the ideas. We like the product development and all of that. And rather than trying to fit that square peg in a round hole and saying, no, you have to be the one who implements this, um, finding people who just love doing that tactical implementation because there are people who... Uh, and in fact, it's probably the vast majority of people who don't like being the visionary. They don't like the uh, coming up with the ideas. They don't like the product development and the creative side. They like just to be following a checklist and executing on the tactical stuff. And so rather than trying to beat yourself up or trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, find those people, employ them and you know, th that will give you a, a big, big leg up. Alan, another thing that I, I got from the book is that you're a believer not just in writing, but you also help people learn in other ways in individual groups like masterminds. What do you do in masterminds that makes yours particularly distinct from others? Look, I've been to many mastermind groups and some some really good and some, you know, medium and some not so good. And the thing that I think we do differently is it's not about me and it's not about me um, talking at the group or teaching the group. It's really the value comes from the group members and I'm there purely to facilitate and guide in the right direction. So uh, very often um, the, the value of a mastermind are some of the other people there. And we try to make sure that we have very, very high level people there, people who are business owners, who are business leaders, who are really making industry transformations. And so I love facilitating those groups. We spend two day, two full days and it's just a wonderful time. And there's a lot of breakthroughs that always come out as a result. Well, Alan, you've shared so many great ideas with me on my quest for the best today. I want to thank you so much for talking with us and talking about, first of all, reminding us about Jim Rohn's great advice that you don't get better your world doesn't get better until you get better. Exactly. Making sure that as you develop your offers, that you really go and, and go from zero to direct response like you do in the book to help people understand that there's got to be a good fit between your target market, the message, and the medium to reach it. And that the difference between a good offer and an average offer is the difference between letting a helium balloon go into the atmosphere versus trying to hurl a bowling ball straight up. Exactly. Um, we talked about, about examples like the Dollar Shave Club. There was no innovation there, but they were able to change their model from trying to sell razors one-off into a subscription model, and it led to a very successful business. We mentioned that the tactic or, or the mindset that if you think that your target market is everyone, then it really is no one because you need a focus message to reach that market, not a broad message, something that really helps address them. Kind of like you were saying, exactly you need to find people who have a migraine and offer them pain relief because then you have a good fit when you have a good offer ask yourself how to simplify a lot of the things you offer what are you most confident in delivering and what do you enjoy delivering the most two interesting and distinct questions that could help simplify things for a lot of people and then you gave some great advice about how to go from feeling like a, a pest to a welcome guest and the difference that someone would have in encountering you at their front door 
if you were someone who had built that trust and built that time to let them get to know you before approaching them with something to offer. And that one of the best ways to do that is to help them achieve some success in advance. You'll be the person that they think of when it comes time to implement that solution. And then you shared some great personal insights during the lightning round, everything from front-loading your week to using any system, yours happens to be Todoist, and then also trusting your subconscious to work on problems, making sure that you let it go so that you come back fresh and energized in order to take it on and have new ideas. And the last part also is extremely important about maximizing your capacity. When you finally get serious about this, everyone knows because you'll have someone focused on this task 100% of their time, not splitting it between all the other things that so many business owners do as we run around dividing our time between strategy and hiring and mentoring and serving our customers. But it really does go to speak to the idea that you so eloquently described, we know what we do best and then to hire people who do everything else because there are people out there who will enjoy it and who excel in those areas. So for these ideas and more, Alan Dib, I thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you so much, Bill. It's been an absolute pleasure to be on the show. I can't believe how much we covered now that you, I listened to it in your summary. <laughs> What's a website where we could find more about you and your work? So my website is successwise.com. You can um, go, to the, go there and download a free copy of the one-page marketing plan canvas, or you can get my book anywhere where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere else. Thank you so much. Bill, it was an absolute pleasure. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.